when the Civil War broke out or when the Civil War started or as some people around here call it, the War of Northern Aggression, when it broke out, uh, there was a problem for leadership on both sides because many of those that had been tabbed to be in leadership roles, had been tabbed to be generals or, or, or leaders in the armies were untested. They weren't tried. Uh, many of those men had fought. They'd gone to West Point. They, most of them had fought together, guys from both sides in the Mexican-American War. Uh, but most of them had been out of the Army. Many of them had been out of the Army from six to ten years. Uh, the ones that were still in the Army were serving out West. And uh, we didn't know. The Americans didn't know who was going to rise to the challenge, uh, who would be able to lead men, who would be able uh, to lead men in battle and to win victories. It's one of the reasons that uh, if you've studied history, you know that Abraham Lincoln went through many generals, many commanders in the early part of the war because he continued to put a commander in there that wouldn't lead, that wasn't winning, wasn't moving his army to victory. One of those men that was untested was given a generalship early in the war. He was given to it, although he went to West Point, although he fought the Mexican-American War, he was given it uh, because of political connections. It wasn't really because they thought he'd be a great general. He was from Illinois, and the senator from Illinois lobbied to be able to get him to become a general, and so he became a general. He'd been out of the Army for six years. He'd struggled in civilian life. Matter of fact, he'd lost all of his money. Uh, he was living on uh, the kindness of his in-laws and their help in a farm that he was trying to have there in southern Illinois, but he was given a generalship. But like many that were untested, he was pushed off into what was considered a minor theater. His name was Ulysses S. Grant. Most of us know him uh, because of what happened afterwards, but when he started as a general, he had no uh, measure of how he would succeed or not succeed. He was untested. He was sent to this theater, which was at the time the North, Northwestern Theater of the Civil War. Now, the Northwest at that time was southern Kentucky and northern Tennessee. That was as far as the battles would rage. Some would go on in Missouri, some would go on in Arkansas. But as considering Northwest, that was an area that his military and his command was sent to. Now, this became a very important strategic area for both armies because you see, in southern or southwestern Kentucky and northwestern Tennessee, four major rivers uh, collide. They all come together. You have the Ohio River, you have the Tennessee River, you have the Cumberland River, and you have the Mississippi River running right through the middle. And what was happening is was armies on both sides were trying to put forts on these rivers early in the war to keep the other armies from controlling the riverway. You see, rivers in those days were like highways are today. That's how we transported goods. Uh, railroads were still uh, disjointed. They were state-run efforts. They didn't connect between states, and so rivers were the main thoroughways. And the southern armies had put forts on each of these rivers controlling movement up and down the river, and Grant was sent to stop that. And so in early 1862, he and his army attacked the first fort at Belmont on the Mississippi River and defeated it. It was a surprise victory. They were overwhelmed, but they had surprise on their side, and they surprised the Confederates and took the fort. He quickly moved across over to the Tennessee River to Fort Henry, and Fort Henry was a much larger fort, and he sieged it, which means he surrounded it and would not allow supplies to come in, and he held it under siege for a while to eventually uh, the men that were in Fort Henry snuck out. Uh, they were able to escape one evening, and, and the whole army, 10,000 men snuck out and went across this patch of land over to the Cumberland River. They all came together to where Fort Donaldson was. 
And so Grant gave chase. As they got there in Fort Donaldson, there was another five to 8,000 men there. And so you had an army of 15,000 Confederates in this fort on the Cumberland River. And you had Grant with his army of 15 to 18,000 uh, Northern uh, Union Army. And they surrounded Fort Donaldson. And it was at Fort Donaldson as he gave seeds that Grant really began his upward rise in mobility because, you see, he quickly, after giving seeds, called boats in. And for the first time, federal boats came and worked with the army and bombed a fort, and they surrendered. And it was in this surrender at Fort Donaldson that Ulysses S. Grant got his nickname because, you see, as they were bombing this fort, as they were attacking this fort, the commander of the Confederate forces continued to try to offer terms for surrender, continued to say, listen, we will surrender if, if you will do this or you will do that. And Grant's only reply was unconditional surrender. And after they defeated Donaldson, his name was all over the papers, and with it was this new nickname, Unconditional Surrender Grant. And that name stayed with him all throughout the war because of the terms that he had at Donaldson. And it propelled him. Of course, you had Vicksburg and uh, Chattanooga and other battles that took place, but it propelled him to become the main general, the leadership of the Union Army, and eventually the President of the United States. Now, I tell you all that because I wanted you to understand what this term was, surrender, unconditional surrender, because you see, it was rare in the Civil War days, because even as the Civil War was starting, there was still an influence of Napoleonic European-type warfare, uh, this code of honor. You see, when you would surrender in that code of honor, that European code of honor, you would have terms. You would have conditions of how you would surrender. You might say, listen, we will surrender if you let us keep our horses and our arms and, and keep uh, our supplies. We will surrender if you'll allow us to leave as a group together. We'll give you this land. We'll give you this fort. And they would come together honorably and, and surrender. But Grant took a page out of George Washington. You see, George Washington, when he attacked Yorktown and Lord Cornwallis, he demanded unconditional surrender. And so Grant took the same terms, and he began at Donaldson, and he continued it all the way to Appomattox, where he held Lee to this idea of unconditional surrender. Now, there are some neat, ironic stories. You see, the person that was asking for him to surrender was one of his best friends, uh, Simon Bolivier Buckner was the commander of the Confederate fort there at Donaldson. And, and Buckner had been one of uh, Grant's roommates at West Point. He had fought with him at the Mexican-American War. And they were so close that when Grant was down on his luck, Buckner was the one who loaned him money to be able to get home when he resigned his commission. But yet he held his friends to this condition of surrender of saying there was no conditions. Now, why is all that important to us this morning? What does that have anything to do with church or the verses we're going to look at? Because, you see, I think in the church today, we have lost sight of what that term means, surrender. See, I think in the church today, we, we don't like to talk about surrender. But yet, it is at the heart of everything that we do. It is the heartbeat of the church and the Christians if you were to ask pastors today, if you were to read blogs or go on to websites to deal with pastors, and you were to ask them what is one of the most difficult things facing pastors dealing with churches today, a clear majority would tell you, and, and it's, it's documented, that the problem in churches today is commitment. It's tough to get people to commit 
tough to get people to commit to come to church, get people to commit to small groups or Sunday school or commit to missions or commit to giving or commit to being involved or volunteering. It is tough to get people to commit. And all the pastors that I talk to universally, all the way across, say we are having struggles with our commitment level. See, I think it goes deeper than that. I don't think we have a commitment problem. I think we have a surrender problem. George Barna did a survey recently of uh, people between the ages of 25 and 45 talking to them about their commitment level to church, talking to them about what it means to commit to church. And it was, it was funny that uh, they had a list of things to describe what it meant to be committed to church. And a majority, a clear majority, almost 70% of people 25 to 45 indicated that if you came to church one time out of four times, you were committed to church. Matter of fact, they said that if you came two times out of four times, you were very committed to church. So if you came one time, you were committed. You came two times, you're a holy roller, right? Now, now I don't know about you, but some of you may be old enough to remember uh, there used to be a time where if you skipped three weeks of church, they would put you on probation and take your membership away. I'm not making that up. And now if you come one time out of four, you're committed. Now, I'm not a legalist about coming to church. I tell you all the time. We don't take role. God doesn't take role. But Billy Graham once said, if your walk with Jesus Christ isn't enough to get you excited about wanting to worship with other believers, then you might need to examine who you're walking with. You see, our problem in the church today is not that we're not committed or we can't get people committed. Our problem is we forgot Jesus never called us to be committed. Jesus never asks us to be more committed. Jesus calls us to surrender unconditionally. He calls us to giving our lives for Him in response to what He did at the cross. And we love to talk about commitment, and we love to imply that we have this level of commitment, but Jesus is asking us, have you surrendered? Over 25 times in the New Testament, Jesus looks at disciples, looks at people around Him, and asks them to follow Him. Every time, the implication was that they give up, they drop whatever it is that they're doing. They walk away from everything that they have, and they follow Him. They surrender their lives for His sake. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 14, and I'll get to our verse in just a minute. I want you to hear this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. And then verse 33 continues of chapter 14. In the same way, if any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be My disciple. That doesn't sound like commitment. That sounds like surrender. Sounds like Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to let go of everything you have. Matter of fact, in the parable of the, the narrow way and the narrow gate, the small gate, Jesus says, basically, for you to be able to find the kingdom of heaven, you have to let go of everything else. See, it's what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2.20 when he says, For I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I no longer live. Christ now lives in me. What he's saying is, I have surrendered my life to Christ. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul also tells the Corinthian church that he is a new creation. The old is past. What does that mean? 
means that my life has now been surrendered to Jesus Christ and I'm His. What does it mean to surrender? Well, Webster's defines it this way. It is the act of yielding one's person or giving up one's possessions into the power of someone else. It's an act of waving a white flag. See, the cross doesn't ask for commitment. The new covenant doesn't worry about how committed you are. The cross demands surrender. Pastor Adrian Rogers shares a story in one of his books talking to a Romanian pastor about how they survived during the very difficult persecution that was going on in Romania during the Cold War. And he was talking to them about the difference between commitment and surrender. And the Romanian pastor, whose name was Joseph Sign, said this, When you make a commitment, you're still in control, no matter how noble the thing is you commit to. You can commit to pray, you can commit to study the Bible, you can commit to give your money, you can commit to buy a house, you can commit to lose weight. But whatever he or she chooses to do, they commit to it. Surrender is totally different. If someone holds a gun to your head and asks you to lift your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person what you're committed to. You simply surrender and do what you're told. But the key word here is surrender. You see, we like the word commitment. Because we're in control when we commit. We're the ones who make a chance or a choice of whether or not we're going to do something. You see, when you surrender, it's the person you surrender to that makes the choice. We like to talk about commitment because, you see, commitment also implies intent, right? Because, you see, if we intend to do something, that's just the same as being committed, right? So we can say we're committed as long as we intend to do something. I intended to get up and exercise this morning. I didn't do it, but I intended to do it, so that means I'm still committed to losing weight, right? I intended to get up and read my Bible this morning. I didn't have a chance to do it, but that intention shows that I'm still committed. You see, God doesn't call us to commitment. He calls us to surrender. We don't need more commitment in the church. We need surrender you have your blue sheet or your Bible, look at how Jesus describes it. Luke chapter 9. and uh, This is a passage that probably many of you have heard or many of you have read. But I want you to hear what he says here. I'm going to re- start reading in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Jesus again, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Three guys, all called to follow Jesus. It's the same word there to follow that he uses to James and John. The same word that he uses to Peter and Andrew, that he uses to Matthew. It's the same word that he uses in John 10 when he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You see, the thing about these three guys is they all had good intentions. Did you see that? I mean, he kind of feels sorry for them. Jesus sounded kind of harsh, didn't he? They all had good intentions. They were all willing to make a commitment, right? They all said, okay. But Jesus was looking for something more. 
He wasn't looking for commitment. He was looking for surrender. Now, when you first read this, it sounds like Jesus was kind of mean to them. But you have to understand, Jesus wasn't just listening to their words. Jesus knew their hearts the same way that he knows our hearts. Over and over in the New Testament, it says that he knew what they were thinking before they said it. And see, many times, Jesus knows our intentions in our heart before we ever say a word, before we ever act on it. So what, what is, separates these three from you and I this morning? What separates these three with this idea of commitment? Well, the first one, listen again what he says. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus wasn't turning this guy away. He didn't tell him, no, you can't follow me. What he was doing was letting him know that being a follower of Jesus Christ is much more than what meets the eye. See, Matthew's version of this story tells us that this guy was a scribe. That means he was an important person. It means he probably had some wealth. And what's going on when this story takes place? Jesus has gained prominence. People are following Jesus. People are, are listening to Jesus. He's probably seen Jesus heal people. He's probably seen the crowds that are gathering to follow Jesus. He's probably been in on the buzz of the room as Jesus is talking and listening and hearing the word of God. He wants in on that. But Jesus is telling him, before you decide that you want in on this, you need to understand it's more than the buzz. It's more than the excitement. It costs you something. It's not about the wealth or the fame or the popularity. He's saying, listen, being a, a Christ follower is not about something you put on your resume. It's not about something you wear on your car. It's not about all of these things that you hear described as Christianity. He said it's about difficulty. Not will you face difficulty, when you face difficulty. It's about struggle. It's about paying a price. See, the church is filled with people like this. People hear about what God's doing. They maybe see it in a family member and, and they hear the buzz and, and maybe they even sense something going on. And so, so they come to church or, or they come and they, they make themselves committed or they get involved in one way or the other. But they never really surrender themselves to God. So they want the benefits, they just don't want to pay the price. But the problem is, is the only way to receive the benefits. And the main benefit is grace and mercy and love and salvation. The only way to receive those things is surrender. Because, see, Jesus sets the terms. And the terms are the same thing that U.S. Grant gave to Simon Buckner. Unconditional surrender. See, people come all the time and, and they want to be a part of what's happening. They, they want to be in on the good times because they want to be committed. You see, commitment will only keep you there when things are going good. Have you ever recognized that? It's easy to be a Christ follower when all's good. I mean, when the bank is full, right? You can pay your bills and food is on the table and the kids are in line. And everything's going good at church. It's easy, man. I'm committed. But let something happen. And then all of a sudden that commitment wanes. Why? Because your commitment is only as strong as that thing that you're committed to. See, surrender says conditions don't matter. Surrender says circumstances don't matter because it's not about me. It's about who I surrendered to. 
See, this guy was looking for a good time in the church. And Jesus told him, you're looking in the wrong place. Are there benefits? You bet. Life-changing, marriage-changing, family-changing benefits. But they come with a price. The white flag. If Mr. First guy was Mr. Looking for good times or Mr. Not willing to pay the cost, why don't you look at the second guy because he was willing to commit. Matter of fact, he was even willing to surrender. But he had conditions. He had terms. Listen to what he says. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first. Now listen, you need to understand. Whenever you, that, that's an oxymoron right off the bat. You know you're in trouble whenever you hear, Lord, me first. Okay? Because you can't say, Lord, me first. Because to say, Lord, means whatever you want. You are my Lord. You are in charge. You are in control. So you can't say, you are in charge. You are in control. But first, me. But that's exactly what he said. Now, what he asked sounded reasonable, right? Lord, first, let me go and bury my, my father. Jesus replied, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You see, this guy was looking to surrender but he just had a condition Lord I'll do whatever you want but first let me do a couple of things first let me get out of school first let me make some money first let me get established first let me do this and let me do that and then I'll follow you God and Jesus said listen it's not about your terms this guy wasn't interested in burying his father. People say, well, his dad was dead. No, his dad wasn't dead. How do you know? Because it was a Jewish tradition that if your father had died, you stayed in the house mourning. He would be dressed in black at his father's place instead of out on the streets looking at Jesus. What this man was saying is maybe my dad is a little older. My dad is getting up in years and, and I'm going to wait until he dies. And when he dies, then I'll start following. And Jesus said, listen, do you not understand this call is unconditional? And it's also urgent. You see, what Jesus was telling him is, listen, what God wants to do in your life can't wait until you're ready because you'll never be ready. That's why it's so important for you and I when the Holy Spirit speaks for us to respond right then because you may never have a chance again to say yes. Your heart may never be in the right place. The Holy Spirit may not speak ever again like He's speaking today. You see, when God calls us to surrender, the only answer is yes. There is no yes, but. There is no yes, maybe. See, the question for you and I this morning is, how many things in our lives have become more important to us than be obedient to God? See, how many things in our life have we put as conditions? You see, this is what happens to believers. We, we, can, we surrender at one time when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you completely surrender and take, say, take all of it. And then all of a sudden, over time, we start adding on conditions. I didn't really mean take all of it. You can have all of it with this relationship, God. You can have all of it but this computer, God. You can have all of it but what I listen to, God. You can have all of it but my checkbook, God. And over time, these conditions build and build and build. And we wonder why we don't see God's power in our lives. We wonder why we don't see God moving in and through us. Because God says, listen, let the dead bury the dead. What's that mean? That means let those that don't have something to do, do all of that stuff. You have something to do. Basically, what he's telling us is your life depends and others' lives depend on your surrender. He says it's urgent. 
It's important. It's timely. Surrender. First guy wasn't willing to count the cost. He just wanted to be a part of it. The second guy added conditions. The third guy is where most of us fall. It's where many of us can relate to. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That sounds kind of similar to the to the, first, the second guy, but they're different. You see, the second guy had conditions. The third guy had an excuse. I'll follow you, God. First, let me take care of a couple of things. You see, I think Jesus saw right through him because he knew when he said follow him, the guy said, okay, I will. I'll be right back. And his intention was to leave and never return because he had something better to do. See, the third guy's issue was priorities. It was a matter of what was important to him. And what was important to him was not following Jesus. It was saying goodbye to the family. That sounds like another good excuse, right? But I've heard it said before, if you don't want to do something, any excuse will do. See, if you really want to do something, you'll do it. If you don't, you'll find an excuse to keep you away from it. And all of us have made excuse after excuse after excuse when God speaks to us. God says, I want you to commit to this ministry. I want you to commit to doing something, volunteering here or commit to something else. And, and I want you to be a part of this. And you say, God, I would love to, but too busy. Too many other irons in the fire. Got other issues going on. And God says, wait a minute. Didn't you wave the white flag? You see, once you surrender, you can't come back and say, here are the terms, here are the excuses. You and I need to ask ourselves, have we surrendered? Jesus answered him with a very telling proverb, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't say anyone who puts his hand to the plow and goes back. Because in Jesus' mind, just looking back was enough. Because see, if you've ever been on a plow, and if you've ever seen someone plow in the old ways, when they used to have these plows that were drawn by horses or these hand-pushed plows, the only way you could get through plowing a field was to focus on something at the end of the field. If you've ever seen them, it's amazing to watch these people do it. If you've ever been in Amish country or Mennonite country and you've seen them do this with horses, they'll focus on a tree or they'll focus on a fence post or they'll focus on something at the end of the row and they won't turn around. They won't look away. Why? Because the moment they start looking away and lose their focus, the plow goes off course. And you see, what Jesus was saying is no one who surrenders to me and looks back and longs for the things that they surrender longs for the things that they let go of, is worthy of directing other people to follow me. Why? Because your path will never be straight. You see, what Christ is calling us to this morning, church, is surrender. What Christ is calling us to this morning is, is to stop looking back, to stop making conditions, stop making excuses, stop talking about how committed you are. See, God's not looking for you to be more committed this morning. He's not looking for you to be more committed to church, more committed to a small group, more committed to giving, more committed to discipleship. He's not even looking for you to be more committed to Him. He's looking for you to surrender. He's looking for you to wave the white flag. Because you see, when you surrender, all that other stuff will follow. 
So the question for us this morning, have you ever really surrendered? See, I think there's some in church that are like that first one. You like the idea of church. You like being around. You like the vibe. You like the emotions that come when we sing the songs. You like seeing people's life change. You, you grew up in it. Your family has always been a part of it. But you never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You never raised the white flag and raised your hands and said, I'm yours. You wonder why you still struggle? Wonder why you're not seeing the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness? Because you haven't accepted the terms. This morning, don't walk out of here without surrendering to Him. For many of us in this room, at one time or another, we did surrender. But over time, we've added conditions. We've made excuses. We've talked about our commitment. This morning, Christ is calling you back to surrender. Not surrendering some. Not surrendering a little bit. Not surrendering your Sundays and Wednesdays. Surrendering it all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Is that you this morning? I will ever love and trust you. In your presence, daily give. I surrender all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that brings conviction this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the life of the church, not just this church, but many churches. As you're calling us back from a place of comfort, you're calling us back from a place where we've just grown apathetic. And you're calling us to a place of surrender. Father, many of us have surrendered at a time in our lives, but we've added on conditions. God, you, you, we surrender, but you, you can't have this. Lord, we, we want you to lead us and trust you, but we still want to hang on to this. Father, you tell us that narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Let us take our hands off of those things and wave the white flag. Father, speak to us. Let our hearts cry. Be the voice of your Spirit. Just stand. We're going to sing that simple old hymn. But I don't want you to sing it if you don't mean it. I don't want you to sing it if it's just words. I don't want you to sing it if the Holy Spirit has shown you while I was sharing that there is something you're hanging on to. And He probably did. There is some excuse you've been clinging to. There is something that you hadn't let go. Don't sing it until you're ready to let go. Don't sing it until you're ready to take your hands off of it and wave the white flag. But if you're ready to do that, you let Him know. He'll speak to your heart. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you know, you know, you know. You've been committed, you've been involved, but you've never surrendered. I'd love to tell you how to do that this morning. I'll be here to pray with anyone. The altars are open. You respond as God would lead you. Would you stand as we sing? I surrender all.